And uh, what, what are we doing this week, Katie? Not me. I'm not hosting <laughs> no. this one. Welcome to the Four Corners Crime Cast. My name is Rory. My name is Katie. And I'm your host, Jake. And this week we're discussing the Superstition Mountains in Arizona. Nice. And what are, what are we talking about in the Superstition Mountains? Death, mostly. Missing people. It's going to be probably a couple week long series because there's a lot of people just vanishing. And uh, where did you do your research on this one, Jake? Multiple sources. Um, McShaneMetalProducts.com, which is a company that manufactures metal drop boxes and has been doing so for hundreds of years for medical, well, a couple hundred years for medical and home use. They have a news blog section on their website and it has all kinds of articles about pretty much anything metal related. And I found an article on there with a lot of information. Also two articles from azcentral.com from 2016 written by Jay Mark. And an article in desertusa.com which was called My Father's Search for the Lost Dutchman Mine in Arizona. This one's pretty important because it's f- supposedly a first-hand story of the Lost Dutchman Mine told by Sims Eli, who was a local during the 1800s, and it was recorded by his son, Northcutt Eli. And then The Legacies of Adolf Ruth by Tom Colenborn, which was an article from 2001, and lastly, superstitionmountainsmuseum.com. And it's this week that we're kind of focusing on the uh, Dutchman Mine, right? Most of, what we're going over to, yeah, most of what we're going over right now is going to be uh, people searching for the like legendary Lost Dutchman mine. All right, awesome. Why don't you go ahead and start us off? Central Arizona. While most know of the densely populated, scum-devil-loving, sweltering pile of asphalt capital city known as Phoenix, relatively few people are aware of a sinister mountain range that lies just to the east. Now, what makes this mountain range sinister? It's jagged. It's uh, large. It looms. And depending on what side you're looking at, all the formations during different times of the day look like different things. Like some, there's a cougar. There's a Native American man laying on his back over at Apache Junction. There's Weaver's Needle, which is a point that's over 1,000 feet tall, just straight up from an already like 5,000-foot-tall mountain. Interesting. So it's just an ominous presence looming over a stinky valley city. Yeah, and if you... (laughs) Yeah, Phoenix and Mesa is pretty stinky. But if you, like, know about just just the the name of it, you know, Superstition Mountains, just make... The the name of it is a little bit daunting, I would say. There was was actually, like, a story that it got its name originally from a tale, I guess, that uh, you could only bring your gold out. And this was, like before any of the people we were talking about even came to this area. With the Native Americans, they said that you couldn't bring your gold back from the mines between a certain time, probably daylight or whatever, but it wasn't specifically daylight because the keeper of the canyon or the keeper of the mountains would kill you. Nice. (laughs) If you didn't bring your, you didn't stick to the rules. A remote area clouded in legends of hauntings and murder It takes a specifically motivated individual to explore the nearly 160,000-acre mountain range with a max elevation of 6,200 feet and jagged rock formations reaching over 1,700 feet up into the air. Throughout its 9,000-plus year documented history, the mountains have towered as multiple Native American tribes inhabited the land. Later, Coronado and the Spanish explorers arrived, followed by gold miners from Mexico, 
and of course conflict between the tribes and the invaders ensued. It was during this time that many of the legends still in circulation today were spawned. Finally, American trappers made their way out west, and of course farmers and settlers followed. No matter who has lived under its shadow, death and mystery seem to always be waiting for anyone who doesn't abide by her rules. The stories that have come forth are convoluted and change depending on who you ask. And that is really the case because there's so many different stories out there about these mountain ranges. It's kind of ridiculous. I found like off-road forums that had just people going on and on and on about them because they all four-wheel up in there. One thing is for sure, though, and that is that dozens of people have met their fate in the mountains and very few answers have been left behind as to how. In this series, we're going to take a deeper look at some of the more unsettling events to plague the Superstition Mountains. Are any of these alien involved or any of these? You know, I haven't. I'm pretty sure that there are some extraterrestrial encounters in this in the mix of this, but I haven't even gotten that far into it. This was originally just supposed to be a quick episode and it turned into at least a two-parter. So we might come across that next week. Okay. Well, I just superstition, I would think, you know, anything with that name would get a whole bunch of otherworldly contact. Do you think aliens just show up because of what we name things? They're oh, yeah. Like, mm, that's a good one. They <laughs> yeah. just look at a map. And that's like, superstition, exact, we got to go That's exactly there. what they do. They look at a map on Google Earth and say, ooh, Superstition Mountains. Oh, they won't believe this shit, and they pop in there. <laughs> like Skinwalker Ranch, they were like, gotta go there next. Yeah, ooh, you see what's happening there? Let's let's pop in for a visit. Exactly. Yeah, as far as I know, there haven't been any, like, disemboweled goats or anything in the Superstition Mountains, but I also, like I said, there's so much to read. You never know what I'm going to come across next. I'd be pissed if I was a ghost and I got stuck in the middle of the desert. I don't know. This is a... But Desert no one full ever of gold. goes? Oh, everybody goes there. They're looking for the gold. If you're the ghost, you find the gold. I mean... You set up booby traps. It's, it's better than getting stuck as a ghost in the desert from, like, some dude driving 30 miles out into the middle of buttfuck nowhere and burying your body. And then you're just stuck there. Buttfuck nowhere? Ghost. Everyone says it different. It's really odd. What do you say? Bumfuck nowhere? Oh. These ghosts were back before driving was a thing, unless you're driving a team of horses and a Heart, maybe a lot of walking deaths back then how do they get that far out horses donkeys i'm gonna guess that most of these people yeah they had horses and donkeys we'll get actually to that there's some horses and some donkeys in the story one of the earliest events documented in the area comes from the 1840s the peralta massacre a wealthy sonoran family named the peraltas were said to have been granted exclusive right by king charles iii of spain to mine a large area that is now arizona King Charles III of Spain was just probably the coolest dude ever. It's like, how did he have any control over anything in Arizona? I know, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you can have that. <laughs> um, just go until you can't go anymore, and you can have that. As soon as someone stops you. It's not yours. That's when, that's when we'll come back and have this conversation. Everything else is yours. Don't worry about it. This area included the Superstition Mountains. Between 1783 and 1871, the Peraltas cashed in, pulling tons of rich gold ore out of the vein, amassing a vast wealth for three generations. So these guys had been there. They're an established family, right? Like everyone yeah. knows the Peraltas. Everyone knows the Peraltas. They're hauling out tons and tons of gold. If you believe in such things. So is there still gold, bunch of gold up there? 
theoretically, hmm. if you can find it. That's what that's what this whole thing's about. We can't find all this gold that all these motherfuckers were talking about a couple hundred years ago. All was not good, though, for the Peraltas. An animosity rose from the native people being pushed out of their lands, and more than likely uh, the gold mines, too, by the miners. They've de- displaced the native population, who probably wasn't even over-mining anything for gold oh, at yeah. the time. They probably It had value as something to them, but... From what I read, it kept, mining kind of moved north from like Mexico. Like it just kept moving more north and north. And so the guys would come, they'd see the land, they'd put farms and shit down, and then in would come miners from Mexico, and it just kept moving up more and more at the uh, urging of King Charles. Yeah, I feel like the Peralta family already had a stake in uh, Mexico mining because even if they didn't, it seemed that after, from a couple different stories I read, after this whole situation that we're about to talk about, they were still quite wealthy down in Mexico and still involved in some sort of uh, mining, I think. Some gold business. Who originally discovered the mine? Because if King Charles knew about it and told them they could have it, someone obviously had to have discovered it. Well, King Charles just knew, like, everybody knew that the whole area, because basically there was lots of gold back then, um, and so they knew areas that more than likely had gold, and so... But I believe that uh, the earliest, like, documented, and it's not, like, documented, but I think they've found it through... Family stories. Yes, stories passed down, or maybe... Traditional oral history. Yeah, either way, it was was, uh, Apache tribes, I believe, that first, like, found it. Or the Apaches might have been the last of the tribes. There have been a lot of Native American um, tribes that have lived in the area i want to say there was like four or five well i mean at this time gold mining had been around for something like three thousand years if not more in the area surrounding the southwestern uh north american continent and i would probably say that there were people that could prospect and figure out where good gold locations would be by looking at the surrounding areas just like they geologists do now there is sign like oh if you look at these rocks and these rocks they come together and that's where you'll find gold just like the aliens looking at superstition mountains and being like we got to go there exactly conflict between the groups became commonplace sometime in 1848 during a transport mission to bring back gold to mexico the peralta group was jumped by an apache ambush party and all but a few of them were killed and i have no idea how they escaped but i think literally it had to be to play dead Maybe they ran the fastest, but it had to be to play dead, because I don't think that Apache ambush parties fuck around with leaving survivors. They may. I mean, I'm not, I'm not up on my uh, Native American guerrilla combat. Maybe I've just been too conditioned by the media with all the old John Wayne movies. That's probably it. I imagine they left women and children alone. Not the men. They kill the boys. Cut their dicks off. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to speak on this subject because I have no idea. They could have probably just come across. Because here's the thing. People are fickle and tell stories. So I'm guessing that possibly this group of Peraltas came across them, uh, maybe camped out or something like that, and started shooting, and there was a giant shootout because they didn't amass numbers. I don't know. It doesn't seem... Oh, they started a fight they couldn't finish is what you're saying. There's a few of them that like stayed behind. And then they just said, oh, like, oh, yeah, I was ambushed. for sure there. And I definitely <laughs> just got away. Yeah. And then they lived their lives with PTSD and get survivor's guilt. 
Either way, the surviving family members dipped out, taking with them nothing but hand-drawn maps or maybe just memories of how to return to their literal family gold mine. I'm not sure. It wasn't specific, but maps came up after this all over the place. Now, the weird thing to me is that this area was supposed to have where this was supposed to have taken place is affectionately referred to as Massacre Grounds, but I can only assume that the area where the miners were ambushed is Massacre Grounds and that it was not near the mine since the location of the mine is the entire mystery of the story and to this day people spend entire lifetimes searching for it. So the name ha- did it have the name Massacre Grounds before the Peralta family got massacred there, or if it did, I feel like they should have known better than to yeah. Go there. Like, no, we'll just take a quick left at Massacre Grounds. <laughs> yeah, head through Destruction Valley. Yeah, no, we're gonna skip Golden Pathway and we're just gonna go <laughs> go go down Massacre ma- Massacre Field. No, that'll be fine. Would you like to take Mesquite Valley Saguaro? No, obviously I want to either go down Ambush Pathway or Massacre Grounds. I'll... All right, we'll go with Massacre Grounds because Ambush Pathway sounds like we're going to get ambushed. <laughs> it's just full of bushes, bro. Most sources agree. The Apaches more than likely buried the mine in order to keep future assholes from coming to mine it. The time frame of when it was buried, however, is open to interpretation. Some claim it was buried after the Peralta Massacre in 1848. Other sources say the mine was filled in after the successor to the Peraltas, Jacob Waltz's time in the mine. In the mountains. Hopefully they filled their pockets before they buried the mine. Do you think that's what actually happened? Do you think it was buried? I think it was buried, but I think that it was buried after Jacob Waltz, because I don't know how the hell he would have found it if it was fully buried. Unless it was just partially buried. It's a, you know, touchy subject, I guess. When was it buried? I don't know. Jacob Waltz found it. Many people believe that the apparent curse that lurks over the Superstition Mountains began with the Peralta Massacre. And while it may be an obvious case of cause and effect, it is said that searching for the lost mine directly shortens a person's life expectancy. I think searching any remote area drastically shortens your life expectancy. Generally, yes. Yeah, I mean, because the reaction, the available reaction to emergency is not a whole fuck of a lot. And rattlesnakes. Yeah, that would be an emergency getting bit by a rattlesnake. (laughs) I'd say just being in the vicinity of a rattlesnake is, in fact, an emergency. Yeah, you are 100%. You have 100% more of a chance hiking and getting bit by a rattlesnake than you do taking a nap on your couch. This was not the case, though, for one of the more famous prospectors to try his luck in the desert. Jacob Waltz, now known as the Dutchman, which is a funny little story because uh, there was like a confusion, I guess, in out west about Dutch and Dutch. Dutch was German, and so they're not even the same thing, but people out west weren't smart enough to get that, so like they called him the, the Dutchman when he, it was supposed to be the, the Dutchman. Deutschman. Deutschman. Yeah, so a little bit inaccurate, but he didn't care. He was all stoked for being... Uh, Famous about it. It it's just sounded the same to him. <laughs> Deutschman, Dutchman? Deutsch. You're just a stupid American officer. <laughs> it does not matter. I am rich. Uh, anyways, he immigrated from Germany to Arizona. But how did he find the rich gold deposits that now infamously bear his name? Some stories say that Waltz was in possession of one of the rumored Peralta family maps. 
Others say he was shown the way by a surviving Peralta after saving his life in a bar fight over a poker game. Side note to that, I found like four different people who said they found the they got a map by saving someone's life in a bar fight. But that's a funny story in this time frame in America. Ninety percent of wealth was handed down through saving life in bar fights. And really, that's what I was thinking. Like, it's kind of like an ambulance chaser. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just you just go bar to bar waiting for someone to start a fight, and then you save their life. Then you they shoot look the person enough. about yeah. to kill them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and you got to protect the, the wealthy. If you're smart and you're running a con, you go in there and you instigate both. You're the life-saving and the fight-in. So. That's true. Yeah, you just got to find somebody with, uh, what are the, the boots in Breaking Bad? Alligator? Rattlesnake? Rattlesnake boots? I don't know. Those boots those dudes wore in Breaking Bad. You, you save those guys' lives. They hook you up. Not what you do is you, you show up and you give your partner a gun that shoots blanks. And if I were to go in the past, I would take those movie quality squibs and just get shot once, like in the shoulder, and have it blow blood all out. And then shoot that guy with my fake gun and have him. And then I'd drag him outside and take him with me. And get my reward. Katie would just steal horses. That was really confusing to me. <laughs> Basically, Roy was saying that he would stage this all with a, with a buddy like me. We'd go in, instigate fights with rich Mexican mining dudes, and Roy would get maps, <laughs> treasure maps Save out of it. Their lives for treasure maps, Katie. But like, why are you dragging the other guy out of the bar? Because he doesn't want me to get put into a casket. Yeah, there. I don't want anybody to come. But then you have to like go back in. Be like, hey, man, I just saved your life. No, I'd go toss him on the back of my horse and be like, this man had worn out of El Paso. And he'd be like, like, he'd be like, thank you, stranger. How can I repay you? And I'd be like, Gold got any maps? <laughs> <laughs> treasure maps. I'm in the business of treasure maps and snagging up them criminals. They call me Treasure Map Jack, and I'm here to collect treasure map after saving your life. How do you feel about that? You're just like the original Dora. I think, honestly, I'd, fuck you. I'd be Rora the Explorer. <laughs> All right, so how he found it is important, but since we may never really know how he found the gold vein, we can focus on the fact that Waltz, with his prospecting partner, Jacob Weiser, yep, two Jacob W's, began showing up around 1877 with some pretty nice nugs. Rumored to be in business with Peraltas, they pulled thousands of dollars of gold from the deposits. People around town began to notice. They were buying your typical mining supplies, with chunks of gold instead of, you know, coins with gold in them. P paying for beer with dust that would make Midas envious and flaunting it around like they were 90s rich. They were almost 1890s rich. <laughs> they were. How many times did people have to save their life in a bar fight? To get the map? No, I mean, if they were paying for beer with literal gold, why would... Oh, I know, right? Everyone's going to try to kill you. No, you it only take like a, a little idea. dust in at a time. So people will still kill you. No, you leave it on your attack horse outside. <laughs> Can you imagine being super wealthy back in the down day and just setting up a rail of gold dust and being like, ha-ha, this is how rich I am, and just snorting, snorting it to it. piss everybody off? At one point, they were camped in the mountain, mining away, and they ran out of supplies, possibly from poor planning, but reportedly from a pack mule getting into their food. Told you guys there'd be horses and donkeys. I mean, technically, there's a horse and a donkey makes a mule. Waltz went back to the nearest general store, which was in a small Puma Indian village on the Gila River, 
while Weisner continued to work. Waltz was delayed an extra day or two, not caring, evidently, that, you know, Weisner was probably hungry, and claimed when he returned, he found no sign of Weisner, except some clothes that had been left behind at the campsite. Believing Weisner to have been kidnapped and tortured by Apaches, he stayed and looked for him. Nope. He quickly broke camp, packed up the considerable ore they had stockpiled, and bounced out of those mountains, leaving his buddy behind. Do you think the mule ate him? <laughs> <laughs> I can only hope, actually, because that's one that we have not explored. Do mules eat humans? Are they like a little inbred? I mean, I would think if you're out in the middle of nowhere and that was your only source of food. Can you imagine you're just riding a mule through the bleak-ass desert and all of a sudden he turns feral on you and tries to eat Rips you. Rips you off of his back and eats your face. Yeah. Did Waltz find the mule? I don't know, actually. No, I'm, just... I'm guessing that the mule is somewhere with Weisner in a hole, like a real big hole. <laughs> no one kills the mules, okay? The mule saw too much. <laughs> okay. Popular belief was that the Apaches had killed Weisner while Waltz was traveling between the ore site and the city, but many said Waltz killed him to avoid splitting his booty. A third story I read, supposedly secondhand, from a Dr. Walker, claimed Weisner was injured by an arrow but made it to his house where he treated his wounds for a few days before he succumbed to his injuries. So who do we believe in this situation? Like There are uh, multiple stories. So the Dr. Walker thing was from the one letter that I had found written by Eli Sims, who was alive during that time. He wasn't actually involved, but he did know the people. So maybe a bit embellished, but hopefully fairly accurate, I'm thinking. So I, I'm thinking maybe the Dr. Walker thing, but he never, that I could find, provided proof of this so maybe maybe it goes in line with uh, cannibals maybe he was eaten by dr walker or the mule from then on waltz would come into town loaded with gold to get supplies and whatever else you do in a 1800 mining mining city you have sex with prostitutes so that's thinking and drink beer because water is bad and makes you have the shits I mean, all of that sounds true. And don't forget the gold rails. Gold rails. Just to piss everybody off. Gold rails off of prostitutes and corsets. He would then vanish back into the Superstition Mountains. No one knew where he went. And when someone would try to follow him, he would lose them easily and vanish. As the story goes, Waltz hid multiple caches of gold ore in the area around a prominent landmark called Weaver's Needle. The needle stands over a thousand feet high and has been the focal point of many searches for Waltz's gold. It's worth noting that although he never filed a claim, there are records available that show documentation for selling and transportation of gold worth an estimated total of $254,000. This lends a pretty good amount of credence to the stories of the fabled gold mine. Is that $254,000 back then dollars? I believe so, yeah. And in today's money, that is $6.2 million. Straight value. That's a lot of brick, my friend. That's an investment, you know? If your family can stick it out, which we'll find out about his right now. Jacob Waltz retired to Phoenix and died in 1891 at 83 years old. Small shipments of rich gold sent by Waltz to San Francisco leads one to believe he made more trips to the Superstition Mountains after retiring, or he just had a bunch stashed up there with him. 
Uh, before he died, he supposedly described the location of the mine to a neighbor, telling her repeatedly to, quote, pay attention because the mine was hard enough to find even if you already know what you're looking for. He died of pneumonia after a massive flood wiped out his farm, which was in Phoenix, and a large store of gold was found under his bed. I mean, 83 is pretty old for 1891. Yeah, that's so, uh, he's an old man. Him. Gold will get you Well, places. yeah, I guess if you're wealthy, it's always true you will live longer. I mean, he he owned a farm, Phoenix Farm, so that means that this dude, he was out there at 60-something years old prospecting. Hopefully he enjoyed his last couple years on the farm. If, if his gold mine is that good, it probably wasn't that hard for him to find it again. He found, that. he found it, and he was like, this is easy money. Clink, 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 nugs. Nugs, baby. What if he just used Weisner's, like, bones as a marker for him to figure out how to get back? <laughs> no, all you got to do is look for the bones of a man riding a dead mule. <laughs> so the mule did die and did not eat him. Oh, yeah, they're in a, they're together. I, I know it. Because either Weisner shot the mule for food because he was starving to death, or... Waltz shot Weisner, killed the only witness to the crime. <laughs> the mule? He didn't want him talking? You can't trust a mule. In the time since Jacob Waltz left Weaver's Needle, over 25 people have died searching for the lost Dutchman's mine. Many of these were young people who think it can't be that hard to find. Because literally, that's what I thought when I first read about this. I was like, how on earth could people not just find the fucking mine? It's got to be there. Multiple groups of young people have gone missing only to discover their bodies months later or to never be found at all. Then there's the fact that many deaths in the mountains share an eerily similar cause of death. A bullet to the head. These wounds often seem to be inflicted from a single sniper shot from above the victim. This was the case for one unfortunate gold digger, Adolf Ruth. And now who's Adolf Ruth? Adolf Ruth was a retired veterinarian from Washington, D.C., and his search for the Lost Dutchman started when his son, Erwin Ruth, these people are very good at names, came into possession of the map while working in Mexico. He actually got a bunch of maps, uh, supposedly, and he sent them to his dad. How many lives did that man save? Was he like town sheriff? Yeah, he was just in there. He was like, save, save a life for a map. Yeah. It, it's like a insurance policy. Yeah. You got gold map? I got your problem solved. I got your back? Uh-huh. You got gold map? I got your back. That would be how I would sell it back then. If I was there to guide you a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. But we were a team. You're going to go in there and start the ruckus. I'm going to save the man's life. I'm going to drag you out, put you on the horse, collect the right, map. Right. We're going to ride out of town. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. I got it. <laughs> so he had found or been given a bunch of old Mexican documents and he thought his father would find him interesting. So he brought him back, and uh, after looking at him, the two men discover that among all the random docks, there were multiple hand-drawn maps, and they all seemed to guide the viewer out west to some kind of different enormous treasure. Was it like your typical, it literally had a treasure, treasure chest drawn on the map? Yeah, it was like an X marks a spot type situation, I think. Man, that'd be so cool to find an old treasure map with just a bunch of pointy mountains on it. That, that's probably where, like, uh, the formations get their names. Can you, hand drawing them can you imagine if it's just you and me and car as cartographers and there's all these spires up there and they all just somehow end up looking like cocks? Just dicks. <laughs> just dicks. Sticking right out of the sky. 
into the sky. Armed with the maps and a bit of naivete, Adolf and Irwin made the tr- long trip to California. Returning in late 1914 with nothing to show for their efforts, the Ruths would not return again, would not return to the West for five years. In 1919, again in California and against the advice of Irwin, Adolf, the stubborn old fuck that he was, took off on his own for the Borrego Desert. While hiking the area, the elder Ruth the elder Ruth fell and broke his femur, leaving him at the mercy of the wilderness. How did he fall? What did he fall off of? Because it's the hardest bone in your body to break. Um, yeah, he fell off a steep ravine, I think. How old was he? And that was all he broke? Was his femur? Supposedly, yeah. How old was Adolf? I could not find a date of birth for Adolf, but he was supposedly 60, uh, I want to say 63 when he first went in 1914. Okay. He was in his 60s. Three days later, after organizing a search party, Irwin found his father at the bottom of a steep ravine, dehydrated and unable to walk, but alive. A large steel plate to repair the fracture left Adolf with a severe limp and an inability to use a metal detector. But his resolve to strike gold was as strong as ever. Near as I can tell, it was during his time recuperating that Adolf took notice of another map in the bunch. A crude hand-sketched hand-sketched map depicting a treasure hidden in a remote mountain range in the middle of Arizona. Using an 1895, I know that that was the date, newspaper article written in the San Francisco Chronicle to cross-reference his shitty little map, he somehow determined that they lined up, and therefore his new goal became to find the lost Dutchman. He was, like, in his late 60s at this point, had a limp and a huge steel plate in his leg. And he was like, I'm going to wander out in the middle of fucking nowhere He's by myself. He learned his lesson a bit. People were dumb back then. <laughs> People were just able to persevere better back then, Katie. 63 at this time was, like, pretty fucking old. But as we know now, some 63-year-olds are very bodily able. Yeah, but that's with, like, modern healthcare, Not 1914 healthcare. And a huge steel fucking plate in your leg from breaking the hardest bone in your body to break. And these days we use, like, titanium to put into people. So I can't imagine. They're like, he's already 60. It won't rust out before he dies. Sometime around the end of April, beginning of May, Adolf set off for Arizona. And I believe that was actually from Washington, D.C. is where he set off from. Not really sure if his son went with him, but I don't think so. He arrived in mid-May and set to locating someone to pack him into the mountains, evidently learning something from his previous experience in California. He came across two prospectors who worked for Tex Barkley on the nearby Barkley Ranch. Against the advice of Tex, Leroy Purnell and Jack Keegan agreed to pack Adolf into the mountains. On June 14th, they led Adolf into a place called Willow Springs in West Boulder Canyon which I looked up on the map, is not that close to uh, Weaver's Needle, which is where he ended up going, or where he ended up looking. The prospectors reported back to Tex that they had last seen Ruth camp established near a water hole a couple miles from Weaver's Needle. Tex, for whatever reason, for whatever reason had a bad feeling about this. One story I read said the two prospectors disappeared after reporting back, giving Tex reason to feel concerned for the safety of the old veterinarian from D.C., Whatever the reason, Tex rode out to verify that Ruth was indeed safely mining his life away. 
Barkley found a seemingly undisturbed camp, prospecting equipment, food, the bed, even clothes, all accounted for in the camp. But Ruth was nowhere to be found. Even more odd, Adolf was, uh, when he decides to do something, he just goes out and buys all the stuff for it. So he was a city man a bit, and he had bought himself a pair of boots specifically for his mining expedition. But when Barkley came upon the camp, he found the boots had been left behind. Evidently, he went off wearing his Crocs. Maybe they were just uncomfortable. Yeah, and been I mean, broken in. Yeah, new boots. He w- <laughs> was not new boot goofing. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows that you've got to break them in before you can really be new boot goofing. Yeah, he was just old boot fooling. Barkley rode back and immediately notified authorities, and a search began. Ruth's wife offered a reward, and his son, now Doctor Irwin Ruth, came out from Washington to assist in the search. But Adolf had vanished without a trace. Months passed, and nothing changed until one day. Delbert Daly, a resident of Miami, Arizona, who was fishing along the Salt River, pulled a bottle out of the water, and it had a message inside, and that message read, I'm sitting under a tree in a creek with a leg broke. I've got to have help quick. Finder of this note, please give to Howard Peterson, Ruth. P.S. Have found the lost Dutchman. And in the story I read, they said that it was pathetically scrawled underneath it. P.S. Have found the lost Dutchman. He just said that so someone would come looking for him, probably. (laughs) possibly possibly this find sparked the search once again and search teams were deployed by jeff adams a veteran deputy of the maricopa maricopa county sheriff's department once again nothing was found it was at last looking like the disappearance of adolph ruth was going to stay an unsolved mystery but in a last dis but in a last ditch effort to quell the public interest in the case the arizona the arizona republic sponsored one last search party five days later a skilled doggo did what the sensory-deprived humans had zero chance of doing and found a skull, flesh still clinging to its surface, in a thick brush patch deep in Boulder Canyon. What shoes was he wearing? <laughs> they didn't find his body yet at that point. The slippery kind. Oh, it was just his head? It was just his head at this time that they found. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see here. In an in, instance? In an instance that would only take place back in the day, the skull was sent to Adolf's son, who is now a doctor, like I mentioned. He then invited the family dentist over, over for brunch, who determined in between bites of quiche that it was, in fact, the skull of Adolf Ruth, which had to be a fun conversation. Most of the skull of Adolf Ruth, at least, on the upper left side of the skull was a large hole. In an unsigned report by Dr. Alex Herlicka, the cause of death is indicated as a gunshot wound to the head by a large caliber bullet. However, because of the note in the bottle and the missing body, the cause of death was ruled by the sheriff's department to be exposure to the elements, causing dehydration and starvation. The decapitation was attributed to predatory animals, and the case was considered closed. Ruth's skeletal remains were found in January of 1932. His map was missing, but a notebook was found with a description of the location of the Dutchman, and it read, It lies within an imaginary circle whose diameter is not more than five miles and whose center is marked by the weaver needle about 2,500 feet high among a confusion of lesser peaks and mountainous masses of basaltic rock. The first gorge on the south side from the west end of the range, they found a monumented trail which led them northward over a lofty ridge, thence downward past Sombrero Butte into a long canyon running north and finally to a tributary canyon very deep and rocky and densely wooded with a continuous thicket of scrub oak. That's fucking confusing. No one can follow those directions. (laughs) Possibly on purpose, maybe. He didn't want anyone to find it. 
Further down the note, all by itself, were possibly the last words written by Adolf Ruth. Veni vidi vici, Latin for I came, I saw, I conquered. Is that going to do it for us this week? For this part, yes, that's going to do it for us. There are more mysteries from the Superstition Mountains than you can possibly even shake a stick at. All right, well, that's going to be part one for the superstitious Superstition Mountains, guys. Feel free to send us an email with any questions, comments, or concerns to fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast, on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast, on Twitter at fourcornerscast, and at fourcornerscrimecast.tumblr.com. And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify, and be sure to check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. Head over there for a mostly full episode list, or to just send us any ideas for an episode you guys want to hear, or you can even get your free sticker from our merch store by typing Bingo Bango in the code uh, code box at checkout. So just remember that you know all of this was uh, roughly generated from dozens of sources and put together. So if, if I fucked anything up, we probably have some people who know better than me. Feel free to let me know. Revisions are allowed. All right, we'll talk to you later. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers! That's right. Working the board and fighting your boredom. That's, uh, that's, that's good. That's a, that's a good one. Um, Took me all day to come up with it. I, uh, I, I believe you. <laughs> <laughs>